Consumer Focus with Martin Newman. Hello and welcome to Consumer Focus, bringing you expert advice and opinion on customer service and the Great British High Street. My name is Martin Newman and I've worked in commerce for more than 35 years and I'm dedicated to championing the consumer and helping businesses to develop the best possible strategies for their customers. Today, I have the privilege of being joined by Clicktail's Laraz Margalit, all the way from sunny Tel Aviv, to talk through the latest breakthroughs in online behavioural research and what our data suggests about the way we shop, consume and share online. As a web psychologist, her research and studies can be found in top business magazines including Entrepreneur, TechCrunch and Forbes. One of the foremost experts into online behaviour, Laraz offers a unique insight into the way our customers might interact with the platforms of tomorrow. Laraz, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me, Martin. Just before we go into the questions, just tell us a little bit about what you do day to day. What does your job entail? Okay, so I'm a web psychologist. This is kind of a unique job. You don't get to see it a lot. And uh, practically, it means that um, I apply um, different studies from cognitive psychology, behavioral economics, and neuropsychology to better understand how customers behave in the digital world, how they make decisions, what are their motivations, and actually how their behavior is different from how they behave in the physical world. Makes a lot of sense. Sounds like rocket science to me, but I'm sure we'll uh, surface just some of the the stuff that you work on as we go throughout the conversation now. Would you say that the way we behave online as consumers, Laraz, is, is it wildly different to, say, shopping on our high street? Of course, it is. I mean, we are talking about two different behaviors. And usually what um, people don't know about their own behavior is that 80% of our behaviors and decisions are done unconsciously. So if you ask people, they will say, yeah, we are rational creatures. We make uh, uneducated decisions. But actually, when they shop in the physical store, um, I can tell you that 70% of, uh, of shopping are impulse purchases, meaning that they are unplanned purchases. They go and actually they find something and immediately they decide that they like it. Mm -hmm. For example, they use their senses if something smells good, Mm -hmm. if something feels good. Mm -hmm. So we have actually a two stages process. The first stage is how we feel about it. Um, so we use our senses. And if some, let's say that we enter the grocery store and yeah. um, we there is a great smell yeah. of bakery or something, and then we already decide, our mind unconsciously decides that it's going to purchase it. Mm-hmm. But then there is the second stage. And this is the conscious, rational stage. So we say to ourselves, okay, that's great. So actually I had my workout, my exercise today, and how can it harm to have like one little croissant or something? So this is how it's done in the online arena, in the offline arena. But uh, when we are talking about the online arena, there are some obstacles. It's more challenging because we don't get to use all our senses, only like um, the visual. Sometimes um, we can listen to to music, but that's it. Usually, mainly the visual. So um, what I like to do and the way that I help brands is to see how they can engage 
be fully engaged with the digital platform. So there are different, um, different techniques where you can actually achieve that. One of the techniques is, for example, customize or online customization. Mm-hmm. Then you get like Nike does it great. Like mm-hmm. you get to choose the own shoes and the colors and the shapes of the shoes. And if you think about it from a cognitive perspective, you get to be engaged. And some, once you actually design your own shoes or your own item, you feel that you own it. So you are willing to pay higher price for it. This is one thing. Right. And the second thing is that when we go to this psychological process of choosing and designing our own product, we um, get as involved as we are as we are in the physical store, for example. So it makes us feel uh, more connected, more attached to this product. And presumably, that experience you were describing there with Nike's customized uh, sneaker uh, proposition online—it's probably quite similar. Then, is it in terms of the? The feeling you get as a consumer if you do it online versus offline. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, Got that's the Got you. Tell me something. Has the data that you produced in the past, have you ever produced any data that really shocked or surprised you about the way consumers behave online? Oh, my God, so many times. Tell us. Um, okay. So there was one time, one of our uh, biggest clients in the States, um, they came to me and they told me, Liraz, please tell us how our customers interact with our product pages. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, as you know, product pages, you get to see like an image of the product and you get to choose to pick the color and the size. And then I I went on and I look at this product and I see this strange behavior. And what I saw is that customers who scrolled all the way down to where the product information is located, they have lower chances to add the product to the cart and lower chances to buy the product. Mm-hmm. While, while customers who didn't scroll all the way down, so they were not exposed to the product information, they were more likely to purchase the product. And the right. reason that I felt it is so strange is because when I ask people what is the uh, most important uh, criteria for purchasing online, they all say product information. Sure, sure. And here it was the opposite. Mm-hmm. So then I told them, okay, go with me. Let's do an A-B test. Let's uh, create two versions of the same product page. In one version, I told them just uh, I want customers to be exposed only to the image. They can pick a size and color, but that's it. On the other version, I asked them to uh, place all the product information, details, specification, everything. And after um, a month and a half, we decided to reveal the results. And again, the, the differences were dramatic, meaning that customers who were exposed only to size and color and, of course, to the image were much more likely to purchase the product, were much more likely to add the product to the cart. And then I realized, okay, this is what happened there. So we have two different systems operating in our mind. We have system one, the automatic system, the emotional system, and we have the rational system, okay? So now another thing that we need to know that we have different types of products. Mm. We have nice to have products like emotional product. Like for example, if I have a closet full of dresses, I don't really need another dress. I will purchase it because of how it makes me feel when I picture myself wearing the dress. But functional products like mortgage or insurance, they don't make us feel anything. So let's say that, and this specific product was an emotional product. Mm. So let's say that I browse the designer dresses on Amazon and then I get to see this amazing dress, but then I'm exposed to all these product details and information. 
I cannot overlook it. So in order to process the information, the other system, the rational system comes into play, right. and then the whole purchasing process becomes... And it becomes, overwhelms the, the more exactly. emotional side of your yeah. decision-making. Right? Yeah, and then all these questions suddenly Very pop up. Do I really need it? Mm. Did, I make, did I make enough comparison? Sure. I mean, I, I remember from my experience as a head of online of the likes of Burberry Harrods, Ted Baker, Pentland Brands and whatnot, that when we when we were running tests back back then and going back to the sort of early early to sort of two thousand to two thousand and ten, I think there was always a danger that you make an assumption that one size fits all. So for example, there was always this rationale that if you removed all the navigation options once somebody's in the checkout that yeah. you would convert better, you would capture yeah. more, more demand. You won't be able to go yeah. back. Yeah. But, I, but, you know, I remember doing a test once and we found <laughs> the opposite result. Yeah. So what's your perspective on that, you know, in terms of the nuances of one brand against another? I mean, would you, do you tend to find similar traits in customer behavior from, you know, one brand to another online? Or, or do you find that it's quite nuanced based on who that brand is and who the customers are? Okay, so this is an amazing question. Mm. And um, first, we need to know that there is um, there is something that psychologists like to call mental models. Uh-huh. Mental models, these are the way that you perceive information. This is how our brains work. Our brain likes to work in categories, meaning mm. that, for example, you have a mental model of how to behave in a restaurant. So you have a mental model of how to behave in the first date, right? Mm-hmm. So, for example, what, what... It's been a long time since I had one of those. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like how to record a podcast. Yeah. Yes. So, um, and once we have these mental models, they are extremely consistent, meaning mm-hmm. that, for example, uh, we are going to a new restaurant. We don't need someone to explain to us how to behave in this restaurant because we already have the mental model for that. Mm-hmm. So now after spending so much time in the online arena, we also created mental models of how to behave in the online arena. Mm-hmm. So to address <clears throat> your question, yeah. once we have a mental model, um, so if customer tries to be extremely unique or innovative and yeah. it doesn't fit our mental model, our brain will perceive it as clutter. And the only thing that we would want is to go away from this website. Mm-hmm. So we need first, we need to design according to the mental model that we already have. Oh, yeah. So in that sense, our behavior is quite similar. Mm-hmm. However, I know that um, from different research and studies that we made, that there is a brand connection, meaning that uh, a brand has a mental model uh, by its own inner mind. Mm-hmm. So it also stays consistent. For example, we have a model of Apple or of Nike. Mm-hmm. So we'll perceive them differently and we will expect different experiences as Understood. we go online. Yeah. Got you, got you. What do you think puts customers off the most about buying online? You're doing a lot of this research. What, 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 what really stops customers? What are the big barriers? Okay, so um, there is a gap between what people will tell you yes. that consider to be a barrier yeah. and how they really behave. Yeah. And we have been told for the last few years by our own industry mm-hmm. that the customer wants to be in control, that we need to provide them with the freedom of choice. Mm-hmm. But the reality is that our brain is not equipped to cope with this, um, with this type of choices, with this type of information. And we keep seeing that um, that... 
the many more options that are introduced to a customer, less chances that he's going to purchase, less mm-hmm. chances that he's going to convert because after spending so much time, millions of years in evolution, like making simple decisions, we are just not equipped to handle with this uh, broad selection. Also with too much information or sometimes too much innovation. Um, so all these things, uh, they actually makes it very hard on our brain. So we need to keep it simple. We need to make make sure and to do everything in our power to make the interaction as simple as possible, not too many choices. And for example, there is an extremely famous research that um, grocery stores actually presented customers with two different sampling stations, mm-hmm. one with 24 flavors of jam, the other with only six. Most people, of course, went to the 24, but they didn't convert. Where they converted with the tw- with the six flavors sure. of jam because they were it was able easier to-, to make a decision. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What else? Any other obvious barriers that stop people from buying online? So apart from keeping it simple and maybe not having too much choice, is there anything other? other any other really obvious call outs for our listeners that you could you could mention? Yeah, of course. So um, okay, it also depends on the time and the mindset of the visitor. Sure. Sometimes we are extremely stressed. And and we want to, let's say that I have an event tomorrow and I need a tie for this event. So I only want this specific tie. And then I I enter the website and all these recommendations suddenly pop up. So what I found out is that when you are goal-oriented, when you focus and you know exactly what you want. Mm -hmm. So if I will start uh, providing you this different recommendation, you will just leave the website. Mm -hmm. And you will be extremely frustrated. So there is another thing. Or sometimes when you need to find something and you cannot, you cannot filter the website or or you cannot navigate it correctly. So it can be extremely frustrating for customers. These are barriers that get in the way of you making purchases. Tell me something. I'm fascinated to know, do men and women shop the same way online? No, actually, no. But uh, I think it won't come as a surprise because we actually conducted uh, different studies of how men and women shop differently. So what we found out is that women, they like the experience itself. So, for example, and also it is uh, the, uh, the same in the physical world. If a woman come to a store and she will find she she's looking for jeans for example, yeah. and she will find the exact jeans that she imagined, that she pictured it in, the ma- in her mind and it is it, it fits correctly, mm-hmm. but there is only one jeans. So uh, the experience is going to feel very negative yeah. because uh, women like to have the broad selection. They like to shop. They like to choose. And the peak experiences for women is about the experience that happened before the actual purchase. Mm-hmm. And for men, they like to find what they want really quickly. They like to filter it. And there is another difference. We can see that women like to buy um, many small items. They like to have uh, items on sale. Mm -hmm. But for men, they like to uh, purchase mostly one item, and it can be extremely expensive. But they don't care about all uh, the other things that going with with the purchase. They like to buy, and that's it. Yeah. 
So in so in my case, you think I would be happy with going into a store and just finding one pair of jeans. Exactly. It'd be easier for me to make my mind up. I know we've talked a little bit about different filtering options for customers when they're looking to buy online. And we've talked about the physical pragmatism of web space. What about the optics? Do you find colour and style particularly influential on consumer behaviour? So there have been numerous of studies and yep. research that tries to see if there is, if a specific colour can actually... Um, create a specific interaction, a specific response. And those studies or those... uh, the result show that it is unsuccessful, meaning that you cannot connect a specific color to a specific response. Right. There is a priming effect, meaning that um, the exposure to one object can actually facilitate the, our response to another object. But this is not based on an inherent, inherent um, responses to colors. This is based on our experiences. Right. Meaning that, uh, for example... If you had a great experience with the color pink, so you can unconsciously connect it in your mind to like to little girl. And then if you you will use this specific color, like if you have like an online store for uh, dresses for girls, Mm -hmm. then of course it will work out just fine. But there is not such thing that red is always connected to call to action, for example. Sure, sure. Because uh, we conducted many A-B tests and we saw that you need to find the specific correlation between how your customers feel about colors and there is not such thing as universal No, because we, so what you're saying is we all probably have a different preference for different colors and exactly. therefore we would all respond differently, basically. Yeah. So there's no obvious no obvious. way to prioritize calls to action or or anything else on the website from a color perspective. From, and from that, that is from that why understanding the data are, is so important. Sure, yeah. sure. Okay. We've come a long way from dial-up modems. I don't know if you remember dial-up modem connections <laughs> to the internet and catalogs. How long does it take a person to adapt to a new web layout or maybe some new technology when they're shopping? Um, is that a process or do you see a sudden shift in, um, the, in their behavior? Yeah, so I'm going to touch upon uh, mental models again. Because um, let's say that I'm creating a whole new design. And actually, one of my clients actually did recently. And he came to me and he told me, uh, listen, we have this amazing design. And actually, when I first look at this design, I felt it's amazing. But and le- I will try to describe the design. They were moving from this vertical design, that uh, old version of the design, to an oriz- horizontal design. But although it was trendy and nice, when people actually land on the page, what the average fold was the fe- felt like the end of the page, meaning that they stopped scrolling. And the purpose of the page was to expose customer to as many ca- mm-hmm. articles as possible. Yeah. So customers didn't interact as they did with the old version of the page. And the reason is that we have uh, mental laws, like, for example, the Gestalt mental laws, that uh, we tend to complete incomplete shapes. Like if you see part of a a triangle, you will complete it in your mind. Right. And if you see like this, and if you land on the page and see it as a complete shape, you are not going to scroll down. Got you. 
So you need to actually calculate and take into consideration how we perceive, how we visually mm-hmm. perceive object before you try out new designs. So mm-hmm. it will be very hard to adjust to a new design and people don't take into consideration our cognitive limitations. Right. Just on that note, very often, uh, certainly historically, whenever I launched a new website, again, when I was back on the client side, um, very often the new website, would uh, the conversion would dip for the first couple of weeks after we launched a new site. Do you still find that today with your clients? And, and is that, can you explain what that phenomenon is? Yeah, of course. What's the driver um, for that? I saw it a lot. Yeah. And the thing is that after we settle down in our mind, and we used to uh, to get this uh, website. Like, think about it. it's not only in the online arena. You have like a favorite restaurant, and mm-hmm. they designed it differently. So, whenever you come to this uh, to this new design, you feel you feel awkward. And the reason is that we like familiarity, mm-hmm. and we actually confuse familiarity with things that we like. Like if I will repeat something like fake news, Mm -hmm. if I will repeat the same fake news over and over again, you will start to think that this is true. This is what we call the illusion of truth. So our mind likes things that are familiar because it's easier for our mind to process. And our mind, our brain does not like to work hard. It likes to reserve energy. So yes. something familiar makes you reserve the energies and mm-hmm. something new makes you um, actually uh, put a lot of efforts in trying to process it and sure. trying to get used to it. And that is why we don't like new designs. It's interesting, actually, when you're were, you were talking there about, you know, not wanting to use too much energy. You know, I always found as well, historically, that when you were running a promotion, if you actually, rather than quoting the percentage discount if you actually told the customer how much they would save in terms of you know pounds yeah. that always in my experience that always converted always. better yeah because the because it was always going to take that little bit of mental effort exactly. to work out what the percentage discount like was hard. exactly yeah, yeah yeah well there you go i hadn't really thought of it in that context do you think that online designers and marketers are interacting well with behavioral research or does more need to happen do you think? Uh, I think that right now it's not enough. Yeah. I think that they are not relying enough uh, on the study that we have and on the deep research that is going on on the psychological field. So just to give you uh, one example. Sure. We know that um, over the last few years we kept on hearing that how important is the experience uh, and we know that experience is important for like brand awareness and for uh, engagement. However, there is not one person that actually says what is the relationship between uh, experience and engagement and why it is so important. So mm-hmm. after I conducted research in the matter, I saw that the reason they are so important because the experience actually affects how we remember the, the interaction. Right. Meaning that we don't need 
to uh, track every little interaction of the visitors. We only need to track what they are going to remember. Sure. And just let me give you a quick example. Mm-hmm. Kahneman uh, once said in one of his TED Talks, there was a person that raised his hand and says, I've been listening to a symphony. It was, and it was absolutely glorious music. And at the very end of the recording, there was a dreadful scratching sound. And then he added really quite emotionally, it ruined the whole experience for me. But it hadn't. He had, he had had the experience. He had had 20 minutes of glorious music. They counted for nothing because uh, the memory was ruined sure. and the memory was whole he had gotten to keep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think in, uh, in the world of online retail, uh, we tend to refer to the last mile experience. You know, exactly. when you receive your order, for example, how it's delivered, you know, the person that, you know, knocks on the door yeah. and delivers you the product is very often the, the, the thing that you remember, irrespective of what the experience was like on the website. Right. It is extremely important. Yeah. Tell me something more of a personal question now, and you don't necessarily need to quote any of your clients. Um, whose sites do you really like and why? Actually, I really like the North Face. North Face, okay. Yeah, yeah. Because um, there is a thing that of uncertainty. You come to the website and there is always new surprises. And our brains like surprises because yeah. it's new, it's exciting. And also, you know, they pick out the great colors and you don't know what to expect when you enter the website. So I really like the experience there. Yeah. Well, interestingly, I actually, I do like North Face, but I also like Patagonia. On the homepage, when I went to the Patagonia website last week, was an entire image about fish and about essentially saving our oceans and and our fish and the environment. And I thought that was really interesting. And I have a very strong empathy with, you know, socially responsible and accountable brands. And I thought it's quite a brave thing to lead with that, you know, when the temptation is wow, to kind yeah. of plaster your homepage full of products, but rather they're actually talking about their purpose as a brand and what really matters to them. And I thought that was, uh, I thought that was nice. really interesting. Quick fun question. Where do you think technology will take consumers in 10 years? Will we still be ordering pizza on our smartphones? I'm not sure. I don't think so. I think that uh, actually we'll have like a 3D printer so you yeah. can actually print your own pizza. But I think it oh, really? will be. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. But I think, you know, I think it will be even more than that. Like we have this all world of big data today mm. of, and machine learning. So if you think about it, um, those machines, those algorithms will be able to capture every little movement. So you're walking and they will like, let's Let's say that you told me that there was there is being a long time since you've been on a date. But let's say that you are a young man and you go on a date. And this I didn't say I was an old man. Uh, I just said it's a long time since I've been on a date. <laughs> okay, <laughs> sorry for that. That's all right. <laughs> but let's say that you you are going on a date, mm. and this algorithm will warn you: don't date this lady because your previous interaction with this type of person didn't go that well. Right. So uh, and. Don't eat this uh, 
uh, the last time you ate this, uh, it made you an allergic, for example. Yeah, sure. So it will be able to capture every little movement, every little mm. interaction that we have. Mm. And if you think about it, they will know you better than you know yourself. Yeah, I'm sure you're right. I don't doubt <laughs> that for a second. Um, I must admit, my own, my own perspective is I'm not sure that we will be using smartphones in 10 years' time. Um, I do think glasses are on the way. And yeah. I mean, obviously, Google were, the, were really the, the, the early vanguards of that but we're just a bit ahead of their time. But I do think, because I know there's a lot of investment going into that from yeah. Facebook and Cisco and a whole bunch of other technology vendors. So I can imagine that we'll be using glasses, whether we'll be using glasses just for augmented reality experiences and, you know, for maybe other forms of communication, as well as making calls and receiving the type of data um, and communication that we do at the moment. I'm not really sure, but I have a sneaky suspicion it won't, <laughs> it won't be a smartphone, but who knows? Sadly, that is all we have time for. Wow. Um, it's been fantastic talking to you, Loraz. Thank you, everyone, for listening to Consumer Focus with me, Martin Newman, and my wonderful guest, Loraz Margalit. I hope you'll join me next time to discuss the latest in consumer concerns.